Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. I appreciate Stacy and Derek there in my life group as well and appreciated them their willingness to share their story. I remember praying with them uh, quite a bit as they were going through those difficult times and and just seeing how God brought them through it and was faithful uh, to them. You know, I sometimes I would even tell somebody, say, well, <clears throat> you know, if, if it comes down to eating or not, maybe, maybe you need to back up on your giving. But they were like, oh, no, we're not going to do that. And I said, well, you got more faith than I do. That's, I'm proud of you. And uh, so they, they, I'm just so thankful for their testimony. <clears throat> and today we're going to be looking at that God will meet your needs. And we're going to be looking in Philippians chapter 4. In fact, Philippians was partially written as a thank you letter. It was a, Paul saying, thank you for your gift to me. And in fact, they gave numerous offerings to Paul. And, and in the last past, past, uh, part of Philippians uh, is probably one of the great promises of Scripture. In fact, it's so encompassing that you could almost take all the other promises in the Bible and put it under this umbrella that's given in Philippians chapter 4. And that is the promise that God will meet your needs. So my question then, if that's true, then why do people still have needs? I see a lot of people with tremendous needs. I, I even see believers who have needs, tremendous needs. And so why are they not being met? Is God a liar? Uh, is God not able to keep his promise? And we know that's not true, neither one of those. So what, what is the problem? What is the problem? So the answer to that question is that this promise, and this is going to rattle some of you, this promise is not for everybody. It's not applied to every person. In fact, it does not even apply to every Christian. Let that one sit there just for a moment. Now, let's, pack, let's unpackage that. We're going to look at that verse in just a moment. You see, with every promise in the Bible... There's always a premise. There's always that condition where God says, if you do this, then I will do this. You follow my word here, and I will keep my promise here. And so with every promise, there is a premise, and that's what we're going to look at in this verse in just a moment. You see, God, people want to take verse 19 that we'll read, wants to take that promise there and apply it to their lives, but they avoid the premise that precedes that promise. So the context in which Paul is talking, he's talking to a specific church and he's saying, thank you. You have given sacrificial and because you have given sacrificially, God is going to take care of all your needs. So here's the premise. Be generous to others be generous to others proverbs eleven twenty five. the generous will prosper those who refresh others 
being a blessing to others, will themselves be refreshed. Then in Luke, listen to what Jesus said. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. It's kind of like when you have your t-shirt drawer, you know, and you wash your t-shirts and then you go and you open up your t-shirt drawer. This is true at my house. And the drawer's full of t-shirts and you're trying to put it, you know, your drawer is full of t-shirts, but you only read where the ones that are on the top. You got that? I mean, if you dig down deep enough, you dig down deep enough in my t-shirt drawer, you will find t-shirts I wore in high school. Yeah, and, and, and but if if I push down hard enough, I can always get the other T-shirts in, and, and I get them in there, and I slam the door. That's a great. I got them in there, and and, uh, and then only only wear the ones that are on the top. I don't know what's wrong with me. It's a disease, I think. Pray for me. Um, but God says, look, I want to. I'm going to take your blessings, and I'm going to press them down. So I can make room for more blessings when you do things my way. Jesus said, your gift will be returned to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. Running over, pouring into your lap. The um, words of Jesus now. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. You know, Mary... <laughs> Uh, takes care of our finances in our family and for reasons we won't go into. Um, but she believes in having some mad money just for extreme emergencies. So she always keeps a hundred dollar bill in her wallet. And she used to give me one to keep in my wallet. And the first time she did, she said, Harry, here's a hundred dollar bill. Keep it in your wallet just for emergencies. And a week later she would say, you still got your hundred dollar bill? And I would just kind of look down. I would say, no. What'd you do with it? I, I gave it to somebody. I said, well, that's not what it's for. We got other money for that. You're supposed to keep that for an emergency. Well, it was an emergency. And uh, so she, well, here's another one. Put it in your wallet, save it for an emergency. A week later, you still got that $100 bill? I hang my head down. No, I ran into someone, else, someone else's emergency. And um, and she said, well, here's one more. And then I think she kissed it goodbye even. She said, I won't ever see this again. And, and now she doesn't do it anymore. She doesn't give it to it anymore because I just love to give it away. And uh, I look for opportunities to give it away. But, um, and that's not saying I'm more spiritual than she is. I'm, she's more disciplined than I am. That's what it is. So the premise of the promise is that we must first be generous to others. And Paul tells us that unless... I'm obeying God in matters of giving. God does not give a guarantee to meet my needs. God's not obligated to meet my needs if I'm not obeying him to do what, I to what he told me to do. He's not obligated to do that. So basically, God says, you short circuit the power and promise I have for your life. We, we block the flow of God blessing us by the choices we make or don't make. Now, when I'm generous to others, there's a couple of things that happens. 
When I'm generous to others, number one, I encourage others by my giving. Now let's get into Philippians chapter 4 in Paul's letter to these, this particular church. He said, even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. Now, this church that Paul is writing to was not a wealthy church. In fact, just the opposite. It was a poverty-stricken church. And yet, they were big-hearted. They were generous. And they were a giving church. And Paul says, your gift encourages me. Have you ever, have you ever received something for someone that, and it came at just the right time and it just encouraged you? Have you ever given a gift that was an encouragement to others? Sure you have. Hopefully you have. Well, giving is encouragement, both to the giver and the givee. Both receive a blessing. They receive encouragement. Now, here's a couple of results of giving. It gives us a wider ministry. Paul said in Philippians 1, you are partners with me in ministry. Even though he was 800 miles away, he said, because of your gift, you're, it's like you're here with me, partnering with me. So when we, as a church, we give and we give to missionaries around the world, it's as if we're there with them and we're partnering with them. When we give to other churches, church plants in our country, we're partnering with them. Our giving allows us to partner with others and we have a wider ministry. And so I'm thankful that you give so that we can be a blessing to others. And... Giving, well, it makes me like Jesus. The most Christ-like thing I can do is to give. Because Jesus was a giver. He was the most generous giver. I mean, he was a sacrificial giver. He, he had, I mean, the, this church that Paul's writing to had a wonderful reputation of generosity. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul calls them an example to the rest of the world. And he says they gave out of their extreme poverty. They gave more than they could afford. And God always met their needs. Here's a second truth. I am investing in the future with my giving. Philippians 4.17, I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. Now, this word reward, it's actually a banking term. Giving benefits the giver as well as the receiver. And so you're going to have a well-earned reward. In fact, in the Greek, it actually means accumulated interest. Jesus said, a hundredfold will be returned to you who gives up for the gospel. Well, a hundredfold is 10,000%. Go find you a bank that'll give you that kind of return. 
Heaven's Bank. You know, there are a lot of banks in trouble in our country right now. We had a couple of major banks to collapse, but you never have to worry about God's bank. It's not going to collapse, and it's paying amazing interest. And um, you have an account in heaven, and God is recording everything and every and anything that you do. Every time you give something, it is recorded in heaven. Every time you give a cup of cold water to someone in Jesus' name, it's written down in heaven. Every time you give of your time, which is the greatest gift you have to give because it's not a renewable, a renewable commodity that you have. Your money can be renewed, but your time cannot. You have a set limit of time. And when you invest your time in ministry with somebody else to bless someone else, that's recorded in your bank account in heaven. And every time you're generous with your family, your church, your friends, your unbelievers even, any time you give, it's recorded and it's rewarded. And so your investment in heaven is paying a massive amount of interest. And let's face it, we're in this life just a short period of time compared to eternity in heaven. So I want to make more investment in heaven because that's where I'm going to spend forever. So this makes total sense. You know, suppose I talk to a, I got a lot of banker friends in the church and, and if I were to ask them, uh, so tell me how, how will I know how much interest is accumulated in my account? And they'll, they'll say, well, how much have you deposited? Well, I hadn't deposited anything yet. And they'll say, well, then you don't have any interest. That's pretty easy. If you haven't deposited anything, why are you expecting interest? If you haven't deposited anything in your heaven account, why are you expecting an interest from God? Store up treasure in heaven, we're told, by investing in heavenly things, things that matter. Invest in people here is storing up treasure there. Paul says, you have been sacrificial in your giving. You gave and it was encouragement to me. But more than that, it was an investment for you. In 1 Timothy, listen to what Paul said. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others, always being ready. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life, not the fake life that this world offers you, but true life. True life. You know, uh, my two kids, Katie and Mac, Mary and I really sought to teach them the principle of being generous. And it has been fun as their parents to walk, watch them as adults be generous in so many situations. And then watch how God blesses in return for their generosity. Number three. I am sacrificing to God with my giving. Have you ever thought about it that way? You're actually sacrificing to God with your giving? Well, listen to what Paul says in 418. 
At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. And, and listen to this. I love this. They are a sweet, a sweet smelling sacrifice that is acceptable. Now, this sweet smelling sacrifice, that kind of refers back to something in the Old Testament in Leviticus when he's talking about a thank offering, T-H-A-N-K, a thank offering. In the Old Testament, they would lay an offering on the altar and they would pour it out and it would create this steam from the fire that was there. And then the whole community could smell that offering and it was, it was pleasant. It was sweet to them. The same thing with God. Like our prayers are an offering to him and it gives a sweet aroma to him. A sacrificial giver is a beautiful person that you love to be around. Giving is an act of worship. That's why we do it here in our worship time. Paul says the gift that the Philippians sent to him was a fragrant offering and an acceptable sacrifice to God. So when you give, you're making a sacrifice to God that he says is pleasing. And the gift that they sent Paul was equivalent to a gift to God. So how can Paul say that their gift to him was a sacrifice to God? How does he even say that? Well, that's because Jesus said it. In Matthew chapter 25, listen to what Jesus said. And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Jesus said, whenever you do something for the benefit of someone else in my name, it's as if you're doing it to me personally. So when you give someone something to drink, when you clothe someone who's without clothes, when you feed someone who's hungry, when you visit someone in the hospital or even in prison, Jesus said, it's like you're doing it to me personally. Every act of generosity in your life can be done as a sacrifice to God. Anytime you have a spirit of generosity, a spirit of giving, it is an encouragement to others. It's an investment in eternity, and it is a sacrifice that is pleasing to God. That's why Paul said it was so important. You know, there, there are two kinds of people. They're the givers, and they're the takers. The happy people are the giving people. The takers... Well, they're the ones who are entitled. There's never enough group. I want more. Give, give, give me more. They're never happy. They're never satisfied. They're always looking for something else. And for some reason, they expect someone else to give it to them. You know, joy and giving go together. Misers tend to be miserable. So that's the premise. And the premise always comes before the promise. Be a generous giver. So when I am generous, here's the promise. God will supply all of my needs. All of them. 
Here it is, Matthew 4, uh, Philippians 4, verse 19. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches and have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. So Paul is saying, hey, God takes care of me and he uses you to help take care of me. And in the process, he's going to supply you with all of your needs because you put someone else's needs in front of your own needs. And this was a poverty-stricken church, and they put the needs of someone else in front of their own needs. No one would have blamed them for hoarding things of themselves because they had a lot of needs. But they said, no, that's not the principle. The principle says give generously. We're going to give generously. We're going to give beyond what we're capable and somehow they did it, and God always met their needs. This is an incredible, important principle. You cannot claim verse 19 unless you're doing verses 14 through 18. I must be generous to others. Jesus said, give to others, and God will give to you. Be generous to others, and God will be generous to you. This is an incredibly important principle. So do you want to please God? Have you ever wondered what it is to please God? The most pleasing thing that you can do for God is your sacrificial giving. And that's when it's done in faith. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Jesus was a total sacrificial giver. I mean, he came to earth, he gave up his stuff in heaven, his throne in heaven to come to earth. He died on a cross. He gave it all up sacrificially, and he did it for, for us. His whole life is described as a sacrifice. And so you're most like Jesus when you live sacrificially. When you're giving to others, when you're living generously, when you're sharing you're most like Jesus, and as a result, it pleases God. But I wouldn't be honest with you if I didn't give you a warning. There's a warning about what this does not include. It does not include the consequences of my laziness. If I'm lazy, I can't ask God to meet my needs. Second Thessalonians says, even while I was there with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work, lazy, will not get to eat. Wow. That's an important word for our country. That's an important word for a lot of individuals. That I know. God never awards laziness. There's a second thing it doesn't include. It doesn't include all my wants. And I got a lot of wants. But it doesn't include that. Second Corinthians, 
It says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously, generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scripture says, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever because they're recorded in heaven. You know, in 1890, a sociologist did a study and asked Americans what they thought were the basic needs of life. What was the absolute bare minimum necessities in order to survive? And they came up with 16 basic things that you had to have in order to survive. Well, they redid that study 30 years ago. So 100 years after, after the first study was done, that list has grown to 98. But now it would be 99 because that was before iPhone was invented. (laughs) Hmm. Our wants have a way of becoming exaggerated into our needs. James 4.3. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. And you want only what gives you pleasure. You know, we get consumed with our desires, we become selfish. And God has not guaranteed you that he will provide you with luxuries. You know, there are two false types of teachers that we have in our country with two false teachings. One that says God wants every Christian to be a millionaire. And that's spoken by the evangelist who says he wants to be the first billionaire evangelist. Yeah, he wants you to be a millionaire so you can help him to become a billionaire. That is, that is a lie from hell. The other extreme, which is just as wrong, is that God wants all Christians to be in poverty and that you cannot experience godliness unless you're in poverty. And that's not in scripture either. You see, God is interested in having your needs met. But our needs have that way of getting exaggerated. God says, I will supply you with all your needs, but not your greed. I have found this to be true in my life. The more I focus on meeting the needs of others, the less I need. When I focus on me, my need list gets really long. But when I focus on others, my need list becomes very short. So settle this in your heart. Ask God to lead you into a life of generosity. 
And I promise you, he will keep his end of the deal every time. Let's pray.